I want to talk to you today about why Jesus had to die. Why Jesus had to die. Now, I want to read out of Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. And this is Jesus talking about himself. The issue of servanthood has come up. And Jesus says in verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what, everybody? And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your... Now look at verse 28. This is where I'm going. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Is that not amazing? God came to serve. And to give his life a what, everyone? Ransom. Say the word ransom good and loud. Because because that's where I want to go today. A ransom for many. Father, thank you for your word today. We pray your blessing on it, your peace on it. And Lord, I pray the anointing of God will touch everyone uh, here today and those watching by streaming video. I welcome you. We greet you. And I'm so glad you're with us. And I, and I pray for you in your living room, wherever you're watching. I pray that God reaches into our hearts today far and wide and opens our understanding to the word of God and to what the cross was all about. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So I want to talk about why Jesus had to die. Why did Jesus have to die? If God's a God of love, which we say all the time, how would a God of love let his own son die such a torturous death on a horrible instrument of execution? Why would God allow that if God's a God of love. People ask this, particularly agnostics and atheists. They ask this, if God's a God of love, what you are saying, how is that loving? We happen to live in a day, in case you're not aware, where many people are taking the position, and I'm talking about people that say they're Christian, are taking the position that the message of the cross of Christ is a wrong message for Christianity. There's a brand new strain of Christianity, and I'm putting that in air quotes, out there, that call themselves progressive Christians. Anytime progressives in front of something, you need to be suspect. Suspicious, all right? Their idea of progressive is actually digressive, for they twist and they compromise many of the essentials of the faith. If you listen to what progressive Christians and progressive Christian ministers, Unitarian, churches like that, say about the faith once delivered to the saints, how they twist it and skew it and change it. And one of the essentials that they really mess with is their view of the cross. They have a problem with the cross, saying things like this, and I'm quoting It's primarily Jesus' life, not his death, which is important to us today as an example and goal to inspire us. Humanity, they contend, is in no need of a rescuer. Well, people that say such things are tragically ignorant of why Jesus had to die. So I want to talk to you about why Jesus had to die. And let's talk about the cross that a lot of churches don't talk about anymore. They don't talk about it anymore because they don't want to offend people. But the Bible talks about the offense of the cross being necessary to salvation. 
I was offended when I heard about it. It offended me that I was a sinner and that I needed to repent, that I needed to be saved because I couldn't save myself. That offended the pride in me. But thank God for the offense of the cross because when you get offended by the cross, you're on your way to being saved. All right? So to understand why Jesus had to die, we first have to understand some things about who God is. Who God is. The Bible tells us two things about God's character. He's a God of love and he's a God of holiness. Now those two uh, are very distinct characteristics of the character of God. Listen to John. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He doesn't just love, but his essence, the essence of his character, who he is, is love. God is love. He's not hate. He, he's not, uh, he's not mean. He's not cruel. He is love. The God that made everything we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell is a God of love. So therefore, everything he does flows out of his character of love. But that's not all that he is. And this is important to understanding why Jesus had to die, because he's also a God of holiness. His essence, is, as much as his essence is love, his essence is also holiness. Holiness. Holy simply means to be separate from. The fact that God is holy means he's above us. He's beyond us. He told us through Isaiah, he said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. As, as, as the, the skies are high above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours and my ways higher than your ways. I'm separate from you. I'm holy. Holy. And understanding the holy nature of God is the only way you're ever going to understand the cross. Listen to what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Exodus 15, 11, Moses asked the question uh, to, to God, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. The prophet Isaiah saw a vision of God in which seraphim, which are winged heavenly beings in heaven, called to each other. What did they call? Look what they did three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah had a direct vision of God, that's what he saw. Holy, seraphim in heaven. And, and what are they saying all the time? They're looking at God. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord Almighty. So God is love and God is holy. Everything God touches is considered holy. We have living inside of us, what kind of spirit? The Holy Spirit. When God told Moses, take off your sandals for you're standing on what kind of ground? holy ground because God's presence was there. Anytime God's presence is anywhere, it makes it holy. That's why even though this sanctuary is just brick and stone, yet because we worship him and his presence is here, it makes it a different kind of building. Amen. It makes it a different kind of building. 
We, we read of the Holy Sabbath. The, the inner sanctum of, of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. It's where God dwelt. Now, because God is holy, follow me, everybody. We're going to have to think today. Watch this now. Because God is holy, he is also morally perfect. He's morally perfect. God is a moral God. That is, with God, there is good and evil. There is right and wrong. There is light and dark. There are, there are distinctions made between what is of him and not of him. And, and, and that's the signature of someone moral. He's morally perfect. There is not one scintilla of moral imperfection in God. Listen to what the Bible says about him. Psalms 92 verse 15. The Lord is upright. That means he is, he is moral. He is good. We say all the time, God is good. Well, that's true. That's why we say it because he is good through and through. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Everybody say no unrighteousness. There's no unrighteousness in God. Not any. There, he's perfectly, he's morally perfect. Psalms 1830 says, as for God, his way is blameless. There's never, you could watch God for a million years and you would never see him do anything wrong. His way is blameless. Every decision he makes is blameless. Everything he does is blameless. He, he can't be blamed for anything wrong. Now being holy and morally perfect, God created a moral universe. Follow me. We live in a moral universe. God created a moral universe based on moral laws of right and wrong and good and evil. When God's laws are broken, it's called sin. And this is where the cross of Christ comes in. Now, keeping in mind that God is love and God is holy and he is morally perfect and he created a moral, a moral universe and a moral world. And guess what? He made you moral. You have a conscience and your conscience says, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is, this is of God. This is not of God. I should do this. I should not do that. Where'd that come from? That came from God who is moral and he made moral beings. You now a dog isn't moral. A, a raccoon isn't moral. Birds aren't moral. They don't have a moral quandary when they kill and eat each other. They don't say, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. I feel so guilty about eating that poor little rabbit. They don't go through that. They say, that was sure good. And if, given the chance, I'm going to do that again. But God made us moral. He made us with a conscience because we're made in the image of God. So we have morals. Now, when Adam and Eve fell on the garden, their sin offended the holiness of God. Now, watch this. God loved them. God is love. He loved them. But when they fell in the garden, their sin offended, offended the holiness of God. Adam and Eve sinned by breaking God's word. God had said, don't eat of that tree. You can have everything else, but don't eat of that tree. Leave it to human beings to pick the one thing they shouldn't have. And they went and they ate of the fruit of that tree. And as God told them, if you eat of it, you're going to die. Then we begin to see the record of death. Uh, later on in Genesis, so-and-so died and so-and-so died and Adam died and Eve died. They all died and proving that Satan lied to Eve when he said, you shall not die. The devil always lies. How do you know he's lying? If he's talking, if he's talking, he's lying. 
He's a liar and the father of lies. But see, when they sin, the holiness of God was wounded, injured, and insulted. Now watch this. And their sin demanded justice. Because only a moral God in a moral world would bother with what we call justice. We want justice and God wants justice because it's written in the moral code that if you do something wrong, somebody must pay. That's why we have courts. That's why we have jail and prison. In God's moral world, justice is required for wrong committed. Adam's sin required justice because the God of holiness is also a God of justice. Because he's holy, he's a just God. Because he's holy, he requires justice for a wrong committed. Are you with me? Follow me, everybody. Uh, Because he's a, a, a moral God and a holy God, then when law, his law is broken, then his, his, his holiness requires justice for a wrong committed. And he can forgive, but he still needs justice. His love will forgive, but his holiness requires justice. His, his love will, will show mercy and compassion and grace, but his holiness always requires justice. So you have those two things juxtaposed against each other. My love, I love you, but when you do wrong, I must, I must, there must be justice for the wrong committed in my moral universe. Isaiah 61, verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. Isaiah 30, verse 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. His, that is God's work, is what? For all his ways are what? Just. Well, a just God wants justice for wrong committed. God's holy nature demands justice for wrongs committed. That's the world we live in and you can't get out of it. That's the world God made. Now, let me give you a quick story. I was recently watching a, a, a true story on the ID channel, Investigate Discovery channel, which I confess to you, I watch quite a bit. Now, there had been a murder, and it was a terrible murder, and, and they, they, they were interviewing the family of the victim. And, I, and it struck me so hard. They interviewed the family, and the mother spoke up. And, and it was her daughter that had been murdered terribly. And, and so the camera pans in on the mother. You can see the grief in her eyes. You can see what she's been through. She has wept. Her soul is, is broken. Her heart is broken. She's shattered. She's never going to be the same. And she looked in the camera like, I, like I'm looking at this one right now. And, and they said, they said, what are your feelings now that the perpetrator has been caught? And, and she said, I want justice. It struck me that this demand for justice found in human beings comes straight from being made in God's image. Here's a mother. She's been wrong. She says there's something inside of her that God put there. God put it there. Evolution didn't put that there. God put that there. And it was, I have been wrong. Wrong has been committed. A terrible wrong has been committed. And, and, and I demand justice. 
I demand justice for what was done. I demand justice for what has happened to my daughter. I want justice. Well, see, if a sinner lost in need of a Savior feels that way, how's God feel? Because she's only reflecting in broken ways the reality of who God is and how God feels. When, when there is a sin in God's universe, God says there must be justice. I can love you, but there must be just, some, somehow my ju- need for justice is going to have to be satisfied. Sin, which is the breaking of God's law, demands justice. And God's demand for justice, hear me everybody, God's demand for justice must be met. When Adam and Eve sinned, God still loved them, but there had to be justice meted out. So he judged the man, Adam, and he judged the woman, Eve, and he judged the devil and pronounced judgments on them. Why? Because justice had to be meted out. But here's the deal. Once Adam and Eve sinned, we all sinned. Everybody who was born was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All of us were born sinners. Nobody had to teach us how to sin. We know how to sin. Thank you. Quite well. Left to ourselves, we know how to sin. You don't have to say to a little kid, now don't throw a fit, don't throw a temper tantrum. You don't have to say to a little kid, I can't remember ever saying to one of my children, why are you so good? <laughs> no, there, there was a reason for that, that, that little uh, grow stick that I called the paddle. And, and there were many, many, raising children is all about trying to straighten out the, the natural bent in their nature that goes towards sin, towards sassing you and lying and telling stories and throwing tantrums and all of that. That comes natural because we're born in sin and we're shaped in iniquity. The Bible says, for everybody has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us. Amen? How many of you have sinned this week? Don't raise your hand. Let me put it this way. How many of you are so glad you could go to God this week and get forgiveness? Amen. Because even though we're born again, we still mess up. We still carry around or we're we're being carried around in this body of flesh that still wants to do wrong. But here's the deal. Since the verdict on all of mankind was all of sin and falling short of the glory of God, you have this over here. And then over here, you've got a God that demands justice for wrong committed. You have man sinning each and every day, all day, all men sinning all women sinning, all children sinning. And over here, you've got a God of holiness. He's a God of love. He loves them, but he's a God of holiness. And somehow, justice has to be meted out for wrongs committed. So the deal is, we couldn't bring the justice. We couldn't satisfy God's need for justice, could we? How can we, who are in sin debt ourselves, satisfy God's need for justice. This was the whole quandary in the Old Testament. When Moses gave the law, this is what the law revealed. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not take my name in vain. All these commandments that God gave Moses to give to the people, instead of helping us, it made us desperate. I can't live up to this because I sin. I break them all the time. And James said, if I break one, I break them all. So how in the world is God's need for justice ever going to be satisfied? I can't do it. 
I'll never do it. The human race will never do it. Leave us here a million years. We will never, ever give God the justice his holiness requires for sin. Are you with me, church? This is where the cross comes into God's plan. Because God, being love, knew that if a way to forgiveness for mankind was not provided, we would all perish. God is a God of love. God sees fallen man. He knows if I don't provide a way for forgiveness and to satisfy my need for justice, they're all going to perish. Every one of them. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only God and son that whoever believes in him would not. See, here was the deal. Somebody had to pay the debt for us because we could not pay off the debt ourselves because we were in billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of sin debt to God and we could never pay it off. The only answer was that someone would have to pay the sin debt for us. That was the only answer. Otherwise, we're all gone. We're all in hell. We're all going to perish. That's it. Curtain closed. It's over. If somebody worthy could not step into the gap and pay the sin debt for us and satisfy God's need for justice, we're dead. And the only one to fit the bill was not Muhammad. And it was not Buddha. And it was not Confucius. And it was not some cult or religion. It wasn't Joseph Smith of the Mormons. No, no, no. The only one who could step in and fit the bill was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, let me show you how he fit the bill. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he didn't inherit Adam's sin nature. We all have Adam's sin nature, and that's what gets us into trouble. But Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He did not have an earthly daddy. You know, people say, who's your daddy? You say that to Jesus, you're going to get a, you're going to get a bomb of an answer. Well, Joseph's not my daddy. He's my stepdaddy. My daddy is God because I was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So I didn't get Adam's sin nature. And then the Bible tells us also that he never sinned during his life on earth. So he had no sin debt. He owed no sin debt to God. God did not need justice to be meted out on Jesus' life because he never one time had to say, Father, forgive me. Can you imagine a life like that, never having to say, oops, forgive me? Jesus never once had to say, forgive me, because Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. I want you to get that. So how could that be, Jeff? Well, I'm telling you it is. He never sinned because he was all God, all man, all man, all God. He was the God man. He was not born in sin. He did not have Adam's sin nature. So he didn't have that constant pull and tug, that, that impossible battle to win that we do. And he never sinned. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, remember our text. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, here's Jesus talking, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I want you to note the word ransom. Ransom means the purchasing money necessary for freeing slaves. That's what ransom means. The purchasing money necessary 
to free a slave. Now, the purchasing money necessary was not dollars. It wasn't dineros. It wasn't Deutschmarks. It was no earthly currency. The only currency that could be slapped down at the bar of God to deliver us from slavery to sin and Satan was the currency of the blood of the Lamb. The currency of the blood of the Lamb. Okay? On the cross where the blood of Jesus was shed, two powerful things happened. And here's where I'm going with this whole thing about justice. First of all, on the cross, here's Jesus hanging there. I want you to listen. It was torture. They laid him down when his back was already laid wide open with 39 whiplashes. His, his back was a series of bloody road maps. Bloody stripes with his stripes were healed. Bloody stripes. His back was laid open. Isaiah tells us his face was unrecognizable. We could not recognize him. When you looked at him, you didn't know who he was. He was beaten beyond recognition. Beard plucked out, crown of thorns on the head, blood running down the face. They, they laid him down on that cross. They hammered the nails in here, not in his hands, because that would have broken a bone. And the psalmist said, no bone will be broken. They put him in through here where it could go between the bones. And the same thing in his ankles. And they, they hoisted him up and dropped him down into the hole that was made for the cross. And it, and it hit the bottom of the thud. And Jesus hanging there. This was what the Old Testament and everything in it pointed to. And it's what the Old Testament points back to. All the feasts, all of the celebrations, everything done in the Old Testament, the temple, the Levitical law, feast of trumpets, the, the day of atonement, all of it pointed down the tunnel of time to this one moment. The cross was ground zero in God's battle between himself and the devil. The cross was ground zero where God undid the works of the devil. The cross is where God pulled the devil's fangs out. The cross is where. Satan lost his authority of death, hell, and the grave. The cross, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. That's why I don't understand these people going around saying, well, we don't want to talk about the cross. Listen, a crossless Christianity is no Christianity at all because there is no Christianity without the cross. Oh, no, there's none. When Jesus hung between heaven and earth on the blood-stained cross, Here's what God did. I'm going to say it again. God, right then and there, made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins. Listen, everybody. He took our guilt. He took our blame. He took our judgment. And he laid it on him. Isaiah said the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Every word you ever spoke, every thought you ever thought, every action you ever committed that was godless, that was sinful, was laid on Jesus there on the cross. Now, what I want us to understand is that on the cross, God is judging sin then and there. God is judging 
our sin right there on the cross. Instead of us having to face him at the great white throne judgment, he's judging our sin on the cross in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So what's happening? Why did the sky turn black as midnight at high noon? Why did such a hush, a hush pallor fall over that formerly mocking crowd? Why did the angels have their wings bowed? Why was it so quiet you could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet? What was it about the solemnity of that moment that arrested everything and everybody as Jesus hung there? It was because... God was judging sin and the sin was on Jesus so that you and I would not have to be judged. God was satisfying his need for justice there on the cross. This is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, for the first time in eternity past and forevermore, the son was separated briefly from the father as he took our sins onto himself. And God said, there you go. My justice, my need for it, is satisfied on the cross of Christ. So that I don't have to take out my need for justice on you. <sighs> this is heavy stuff. This is why Romans 4.25 says Christ was delivered to death for our offenses. 1 Peter 3.18 says Christ also suffered for sins, the just, him for the unjust, us. Galatians 3.13 says he was made a curse for us. So on the cross, Jesus was judged by God's wrath instead of us. Huh. Hallelujah. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? So that all the terrible things we ever said and did, Jesus took the blame for it. Jesus took the rap for it. Jesus was judged for it so that we don't have to be. God's fury was poured out on him as he bore in his body all the sins of all men. He tasted death, Hebrew says, for every man. He tasted death. So vertically, God word, this way, God word, the cross satisfied the wrath of God against sin and provided the justice his holiness required. But more, and I, and I close with this. Horizontally, this way towards you and me, the cross, the blood shed on that cross paid the price for our salvation. Only the blood can wipe away your sin. Only the blood. It says he removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And the language there is interesting because it means east keeps going east and west keeps going west. In other words, in other words, they keep going further apart from each other. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and, and it's a greater and greater distance all the time. As the song says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt I could never have paid. On the cross, when his blood was shed, 
It says, much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Stand with me, would you? So listen, on the cross, God's need for justice, for wrongs committed, was satisfied when Jesus was judged in our place. That's vertical. And the righteous shed blood of the Lamb was the ransom paid to deliver us from slavery to sin and Satan and to blot out our transgressions forever. The word blot in Hebrew means to erase. God has an eraser. It's a holy eraser. He's got an eraser. Hallelujah. Now, now some of us, when God got our list of sins, he had a book. Not a pamphlet, not a booklet, not a short list. He had a book. But thank God when we said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me to take my judgment so God's justice would be satisfied on the cross so he didn't have to get justice from me. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for the blood of the Lamb. And I believe in you as my Savior come into my heart. When we do that, that beautiful eraser blots out, erases away every word, action, and thought that would have sent us to hell. Erased it away. So now when God opens up our book, it's just blank pages. It's the book of life. You know what's in the book of life? Nothing but your name. There's nothing else behind your name. The book of life just has names. I'm so glad Tony's in there. Brendan's in there. Amen. Robert's in there. Aren't you glad? Listen, (laughs) I'd rather have my name in that book than any book on this planet. I don't care. What a great place to have your name. So are you thankful for what Jesus did on the cross? This is why Jesus had to die. So let's bow for a moment of prayer, can we? Father, we just thank you for this incredible truth on why Jesus had to die. He had to stand in our place. He had to take the wrath. He had to bear it for us. We couldn't have ever paid the debt. Thank you, Lord, for taking my debt, for clearing out my bank account filled with sin, emptying it, closing out the account. Thank you, Lord. Let's lift our hands to him and say, thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior. Are you thankful for the cross today? Come on, everybody. What a wonderful Savior. I want you to worship Him for a minute. Go ahead and just praise Him. What a wonderful Savior. Just thank Him between you and Him. Thank you for taking away my sin. Thank you, Lord. For taking away my judgment. Thank you, Lord. For bearing the brunt of God's wrath so that I didn't have to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it. God is so good. God is so good. He is so good. God is so good. Have a moment with him and just love on him. God loved you so so much he gave his son. He's so good. 
sing, He's here right now. He's here right now. bow for just a moment. Let me ask you, friend, forget about everybody else in here. There's just you and, and me and, the, and God. I want you to think, am I saved? Has Jesus come into my heart? Is my sin washed away? Has the wrath for my sin, has it been given to him by me putting my faith in him? Or am I still going to answer for my sin? Because if you are going to answer for it, that's going to be a bad day for you. I'll tell you straight up. Because you'll have no attorney to plead your case. You will answer to God for every sin. He will, he will play it back. And what he will say is, if you had come to my son, you wouldn't be answering for any of these things. Because he answered for them for you. But you never turned to him. So now you must answer because I must have my justice. So we have a chance today to come to him and to be saved. So if you need to be saved, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you even think you might need to be saved, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Pray it with me right now. You can do it. I invite you. Can I just challenge you to come to Jesus right now? Come to Jesus. Don't leave this building. Get onto a highway with your sins still uncovered. So let's pray. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and took the blame for my sin. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, I call on you. Amen.